Recently, there was a meme doing the rounds on the internet. It was a screenshot of a headline from the website, The Daily Caller. The headline said, Millennials are so helpless, they're taking adulting classes to learn things like sewing a button. I'll be honest, this struck me because I don't know how to sew a button, and if I had to do it, I'd either take a class or look up a YouTube tutorial. And that meme gave me the idea for this podcast. So in this series, week by week, I'm going to be chatting to the experts from across the Irish financial landscape to make a series for those people. The people who needed to take a class on how to sew a button. As we look at all those financial things we were never taught in school. This is the Bonkers.ie Guide to Adulting with me, Connor Dever, and this week's episode is called So, You Want to Buy a Home? Hello and welcome to the Bonkers.ie Guide to Adulting podcast. I'm your host, Connor Dever. Today I'm joined by Head of Communications and Prospective Homeowner, Dara Cassidy. Dara, thanks so much for joining me. You're welcome. And I'm also joined by Kevin Bolton, Digital Content Producer for Bonkers.ie and recent home buyer. Kevin, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. So, lads, we are here today, I suppose, to demystify many of the aspects. As you know, the name of the episode is So You Want to Buy a Home. And the reason I asked both of you in today is because we currently have you, Kevin, who's going through... Um, who's gone through the process of actually buying your own home. And Derry, you're actually going through that process at the moment. So I suppose, kind of, give us, I suppose, a brief overview of where you're at at this stage, Derry. So for me, I have gotten what's called a mortgage approval in principle. So this is where you submit your documents to the bank, um, so current account statements, any loan statements, and the bank gives you a provisional approval. Uh, then after that, you have to, of course, go out and find a house, which isn't necessarily easy in the in, in the Dublin market or even in the, the national market. Uh, so that's where I am at the moment. So I've gotten my, my loan amount that the bank has said that they're willing to lend me, um, and it's called an approval in principle. I can now use that approval in principle to, I suppose, to place bids on houses and apartments if I want to. And then after that, you obviously move on to the next stage. Cool. Uh, I suppose the first thing that we're to, we should probably try and establish for people is are like kind of some steps and some guidelines of what's actually, um, you know, what's actually required to actually start off going about looking for a house. Like, do you just kind of start off like looking at houses or like should you actually know where you are? I think that the, the most important thing to, to find out is how much you can actually afford. So there's a few things now. People are probably aware of the central bank lending limits. So now the central bank will only allow you to borrow three and a half times your income. There are sometimes exemptions where banks can lend more than three and a half times. So sometimes up to four or four and a half. They can be tough to get and you need to have a good application and also usually a good income in order to get one of those exemptions. Uh, so that's the first thing. And then all, all after that, I suppose you need to know what you can actually you know, a- afford. So it's all very well saying, oh, you know, I'd like to buy a house for an apartment for 300,000. I think if you asked a lot of people on the streets, what does a 300,000 euro mortgage repayment look like over 20 years or 30 years? People wouldn't have a clue. Uh, so it's those things that you need to do. So you know, going on to a site like Bonkers Salai, or even onto the bank's websites, using their mortgage calculators and just playing around with the figures so that you know actually what a mortgage payment looks like because you're going to have to pay this back for the next maybe 20 or 30 years then after that obviously look at your income multiply it by three and a half and then at least you have a general idea as to what you could actually be lent yeah so i suppose the first thing that you're supposed to do would probably be just kind of save up a big ball of cash is it is that what you did kev 
Uh, yeah, so I was in a slightly luckier position than Dara in that I was basically only saving 5% of a deposit because I was doing it as part of a couple. So cumulatively between our two earnings, we uh, had three and a half times our income to play with and then we had a 10% uh, deposit to save up. And it was a decision that we made fairly early on that we were going to start doing that and see basically how we got on after a year. And then bit by bit, uh, it built up and it seemed like it was probable, but it still takes time to do that. And if you want to have any kind of life, in fact, I kind of think there's a problematic aspect to how some of the banks market even in humorous way mortgages because they do so by playing on this idea that you're gonna like live on ham sandwiches and be miserable in your parents you know spare room and that saving for a mortgage is this really really hard slog and that's just the way we're so cool and down to earth we understand what you're going through (laughs) yeah you know and don't stop believing and that's sort of the the tone they take and it is even you know recently i can't remember which bank it was they had a a marketing campaign where a couple like a middle-aged couple had finally paid off their mortgage and they made this big emotional moment of it but it's kind of again the optics of it are strange like this is a thing you're going to be saddled with for 35 years and when your kids are grown you're going to be so happy that finally you know after decades of paying off this massive loan uh, you finally you know bought your house as it were which is the thing at the end of the day you're taking out a big loan like it's not when i tell people i've bought an apartment i haven't really i've taken a massive loan and i'm not even one year into the 30 years it's going to take to pay it off uh, so yeah, the first thing to do, as Dara said, really there's lots of good resources online uh, in terms of mortgage calculators and you know all the guidelines are out there and you can do some quick back of the envelope maths to figure out what you're looking at price range wise and then you want to be realistic about that. You know, you can look online and see what's going in that price bracket uh, and then just try and save as steadily as you can. Open an account of any kind. Uh, savings accounts aren't much to write home about in terms of the interest you get on your savings. It's really just for me, it's about the ease of having a single statement to print off, hopefully after a year or two or three, and you can show a bank, look, here's where I put in this amount of money, or hopefully an increasing amount of money as time went on over two or three years, look how good at saving I am. So the first thing I think to do is to figure out how much you can afford to save, hopefully increase on that over time as you can, uh, and put it in an account somewhere, whether it's a savings account that's probably got pennies earned on it over the amount of time or credit union or something as I said just as long as you can print it off as one standalone statement and say here I am aren't I great at saving you should probably give me a massive mortgage now please yeah because that's something that the banks do definitely look at like before you even can get your mortgage in principle don't you, or don't you have to prove that you can pay back a certain amount of your mortgage or something like yeah that? absolutely I think I think I'd advise people as well is that you know go to a bank as soon as possible even if you're not what's called mortgage ready you're just at the start of the process there's no harm checking in with the mortgage advisor so they can tell you what you're doing right but more importantly what you're doing wrong because when you apply for a mortgage with the bank they'll look back at your accounts for really a minimum of six months so if you've been spending a little bit crazily over those six months or even doing little simple things that you thought was okay to do such as maybe take out cash the odd time with your credit card um you know at the end of the month or maybe let a direct debit bounce because you knew the bank would take it again the next week things like that can be really big red flags for banks so it's always a good idea to, you know, to, to get there as soon as possible so that the bank can tell you what you need to do and what you shouldn't be doing. Um, and yeah, and like you said, one of the, the main things that you need to be able to do is to prove that you can afford the mortgage repayment. So let's say, for example, again, you were taking out a mortgage for €300,000. That would be around maybe €1,200, just a ballpark figure. If you want a €300,000 mortgage, regardless of what your income is, even if you're earning hundred grand a year or two hundred grand a year or only fifty grand a year, you need to be able to show the bank that you can 
pay back that €1,200 a month. So you need to prove that by either having saved €1,200 a month for the past six months to a year or to be paying rent of €1,200 a month for the past six months or a year. And if possible, to actually even be paying or saving a little bit more so you can actually say to the bank, you know what, I'm so good with my money. Not only can I afford you know, the 1200 I can afford even more. And it's about getting that application as strong as possible. And, um, you know, and even if you're living at home with parents to try and save up and um, if you're contributing a small amount of rent and uh, have that official you know and um, pay your parents uh, actually through their bank accounts just so that you have that statement that you can pr- show to the bank you know this is what I was paying this is what I was doing uh, th- this is my proof that I can actually support this mortgage yeah and Kev save up for your deposit you moved back home with your parents yeah so me and my girlfriend lived at home for I was actually counting it up and we moved out in October so that was three years and ten months I was saying three and a half but I was obviously rounding down when I thought about (laughs) it three years and ten months all the same now the process started a little uh, under a year ago now but it takes so long between putting in your offer having it accepted um the banks doing all the you know paperwork and conveyancing from solicitors and then actually getting the keys and then moving in so i think that's why i try and be a bit more generous around three and a half but uh i would say from january of uh that the beginning of that fourth year that's uh when we really thought you know let's get the ball rolling on this properly uh but you do have to face the fact that even if you've been saving even if you think that you've put you know all of the pieces in place it still just can take a long time for all of the ink to dry, all of the, the red tape to be taken care of. So you kind of have to prepare yourself for the long game. I think that's why Dara you know, makes a good point in terms of engage with the bank early on. Start getting your ducks in a row early on because there's things that you can predict, there's things that you can help along a little bit and then there's lots of things that unfortunately your hands are just tied and you have to play a waiting game. So at least the things that you can control, do your best to get out in front of those and then just try and exercise as much patience and deep breathing as you can when it comes time to wait for banks and solicitors and you know, mortgage protection insurance, brokers and things like that to, to do what they need to do to finally get those keys in your hands. So one thing that's kind of springing to mind for me, I suppose, at the moment is this idea of a sardonic commenter out there going, well, sure, you know, uh, he ha- he had it easy. Like he had to move home and, you know, he got, he had the opportunity, not the opportunity, but like you had that resource of being able to kind of move home so you can save. And you're also part of a couple. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the people out there who are kind of, you know, by themselves, Dara, I know you're trying to buy a house by yourself and, you know, you're not able like, you're not a move, you haven't moved home. Like, how, how like, I, I would be in that position as well. If I was to go for a house, I wouldn't be able to just kind of move home to save and I wouldn't be able to, you know, count on another person to yeah. help me buy this house. So how, 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 I mean, how, how, it, how should it's we tough. go about it? I mean, there's no magic bulletin. Um, I did start a savings policy back in 2013 which was years ago so I guess you know the earlier you can start the better I was lucky I did receive a little bit of support from my uh, from my dad but again not everyone can do that so I think you know, in Kevin's case his parents said maybe we can't support you financially but you can move home with us whereas my dad was like I don't want to see you moving home <laughs> <laughs> it was paid me to move out I will uh, pay you not yeah, to move l- literally um so you know but for the person and there are many people they don't have the bank of mum and dad they don't have the option to move home it is really really tough and I, I feel sorry for those people and unfortunately there is no magic solution it is just a case of saving as early you know as possible there is the help to buy scheme as well which is due to run out at the end of this year but may be extended with that scheme what they do is they 
will give you up to twenty thousand euro of basically a tax rebate uh, to help towards the deposits. Now, my big issue with that scheme is that builders at the moment, first of all, it has to be a new build house, so it can't be a second-hand home. It has to be a new build home. But I will give you five hundred euro if you can find me any new built home in Dublin that has been built for less than around four hundred thousand. You know, so whilst that support is there, the price of housing or, or, or new builds for 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 first-time buyers is just you know it, it's totally out of reach for a lot of people so it's like the scheme was brought in but the government didn't really think it through and there's a lot of research that actually shows that the scheme is actually benefiting richer people it's benefiting people who didn't actually need that 20,000 so again to me it just kind of epitomizes the government's haphazard and just totally incorrect approach to trying to solve the housing crisis but um, just on trying to save the deposit maybe one thing to remember is that we were talking about the central bank um, exemptions earlier on and I was saying that there is the, the income exemption where sometimes you can maybe get four times your income there is also a deposit exemption so in some cases you only need to have a 5% deposit and not a 10% deposit so a bank can give you an exemption there as well so that's something for, for you to look at now you can't get two exemptions you can't get an exemption on your income and an exemption on the, the deposits it has to be one or the other but if you let's say you know you have an okay income you think you can afford a, a decent you know a house or apartment but you're just struggling to get that deposit together you might be able to get an exemption with the bank and only need a five percent deposit yeah cool and i suppose things have kind of changed somewhat between now in terms of the housing market as opposed to when you bought Kev so tell us where the housing market was when you were looking around I mean Dara is is the one to ask in terms of you know the trends of house prices and how the market is looking you know within and outside of Dublin at the time I didn't think that we were going to get anything for under 300k even though that's not what we would have been mortgage approved for I think we had mortgage approval for up to 285 uh, which isn't what we ended up thankfully having to, to spend but it was kind of by chance that we're just looking online and saw something in the, the local area that we, you know, it's an area that we'd both been looking at that we'd both had in mind. And for a couple of years prior to that, everywhere was kind of starting uh, at a much higher price and you're kind of prepared. I don't know what the statistics out there are, but just because someone uh, is, is asking for a certain price doesn't mean it's going to go for even within 10 or 20 grand of that. Uh, you hear a lot of horror stories about people having to pay 25 30 over the asking so it was hard to even use that as a guide price because you just think well maybe that's you know it looks reasonable on paper now but if there's a bidding war and a queue around the the corner to actually see this place who knows what it'll actually go for versus what's on the website for uh, so we were lucky enough that uh, it started off reasonably i don't want to say low because it's still you know you're talking hundred thousand of euros so once you get into that amount of zeros nothing feels like a particularly uh, value heavy purchase but it, it seemed doable and certainly within the, the remit of what the bank had approved but um it, it didn't escalate too far from that i know that dara now that you're looking you're finding that things aren't escalating too wildly from the asking price no i think things have definitely cooled down a little bit but i think that's uh, cold comfort to a lot of people the reason why they've cooled down is that since i think you know 2013 or 2014 house prices have gone up by over 90 percent in dublin and they're up over 80 percent um you know in rural areas yeah it so seems like the country's kind of catching up to the cities now. a little bit yeah but i think people have just the reason why house prices are cooled cooling down is because people's affordability has literally been stretched to its limits there is literally no more that people can pay uh, so that's why we've seen house prices cool so i don't think it's 
nice. Obviously, it's welcome in the sense that, you know, they're not continuing to increase. But a few people have kind of commented to me like, oh, isn't it a great time to be buying? They've kind of cooled down. And I'm like, well, not really, you know. I'd still prefer to have bought, you know, three or four years ago when prices were probably, you know, 30, 40 percent less than what they are now. But they are beginning to to cool down in Dublin. I think for the past four months, the latest data shows that they're down by, you know, maybe like one or two percent. So it, it's welcome, but it's tough to know where it's going to go. And obviously, Brexit is the big impact as well. Um, on, on the one hand, you know, if there's a no deal, people say that that could actually depress prices as the economy takes a hit. But people are saying actually maybe within Dublin, uh, there could be a bit of a micro uh, you know, kind of climate that actually prices could then actually skyrocket up in Dublin as lots of UK companies uh, come over here to, you know, to try to get around the exit. So it, it's tough to know how Brexit is going to impact on prices either. I will say that with the, the land registry and, you know, you can look online and see how much houses have gone for in an area that you're looking in. And it is a bit depressing when you look, you know, even four yeah. months prior to when yeah. you were looking, it does thousands of euro in the difference. Yeah. Uh, I try not to dwell on that too much. That's why I couldn't give you any figures off the top of my head. I've pretty much blocked them out. But I will say that at the time when we were talking to people, you know, people and you get all these sort of armchair experts who are suddenly saying, oh, I've heard, you know, rumblings and rumours that either rates are going to skyrocket after this or that prices are going to pop, basically. We're going to see what we saw years ago and, you know, maybe you should hold out. But, uh, you know, as I mentioned, we were pushing four years. I couldn't really wait any longer. And at this stage, if there is a massive pop, I don't think I can mourn it too much because it's only so long that we could withstand the, the conditions that my parents could probably withstand the conditions yeah. that we're all living under. Uh, so it is what it is. You can't wait and fear the whole time. I know yeah. that obviously you hear all these horror stories of those people who literally bought in 2008 yeah. and it's it's been this massive millstone around their neck ever since. But I don't know if you can really No, that. and you need to remember as well that housing is not an investment. If you are buying a house to live in, you know, it's not like you're buying stocks and shares where it's like, oh, I want to make a you know a bit of money. If you're buying a house, as long as you can afford the mortgage repayment, you know, you you shouldn't really care whether or not house prices go up by five or ten percent because you're going to be living in the house. It's going to make no difference. It's it's kind of why as well, you know, during the boom when house prices were increasing and people were kind of you know smugly saying my house is worth this much, and it's like, but you still need to live in the house. Like unless you're going to sell it, you, you know, you've you know really no extra money. And then of course, if you did try to sell the house then buy another one that would have gone up in price you know so um it literally was kind of like a house of cards as they say but yeah it's impossible to predict the market but i think things have definitely begun to cool down um but like they need to stay that way for like years to to make to see if you know to bring back any sense of affordability like at the moment the average wage in ireland the average kind of industrial rate wage is around forty thousand euro meaning that the average house price in dublin is nine times the average wage which is just far in excess of what people can afford yeah so <clears throat> excuse me um so i'm let's take me as a i suppose sample um as a sample case study i want to go get a mortgage what, what what's the first thing i do let's say i've saved up i i, I moved into my parents gaff like kevin did and i've saved up a, a deposit what do i do well as long as you've, you've you know you've got your deposits you've hopefully checked in you know with maybe a bank or a mortgage manager or someone a few months ago to be on the right track and um, you have a good idea as to what you can afford so you've used the mortgage calculators and um, it's just make an appointment with um, with a bank you can either go to your existing bank which is what a lot of people do or even a broker where they can give you a wider 
view of the market and give you more options the key thing is not to necessarily go to you know your current bank a lot of people think they have to um you know if you're like an aib customer and you have never darkened the door of a bank of ireland uh that is not to say bank of ireland will not give you a mortgage they'd be more than happy to if you meet their terms and conditions yeah that's something that surprised me because i was always told oh you know like you, you have to keep that bank account open because you know you no might want absolutely not no no so it's a complete no it's a complete too. lie um particularly with mortgages maybe with credit cards it's a tiny bit different but when it comes to a mortgage you can you can go to to, to any bank banks want that business they want yeah. you for on their books for 30 years paying interest it's, it's a worthwhile investment they don't need your loyalty they just need to know that you're probably going to stick with them for years and years i mean even mortgage switching is so low mm. they're probably not that concerned that they're going to lose you again i think for the average person if you go with the bank i mean look at current account switching it's less than one yeah. percent uh, I don't think that the banks are too concerned uh, as to what you've been doing prior to now. They're just happy to have you locked in for potentially 30 years of paying interest. It seems like something that you would advise people to do, say, if they're in my position, even if like they were, you know, kind of 26, 27, not thinking about buying a house for another couple of years. The advice seems to be open a savings account as soon as possible. Yeah, to start, start early. It, but it's the same with everything. Like if we were talking about pensions, I'd be saying the exact same thing. But when it comes to, you know, savings Should, accounts. Am I even a bit too late to yeah, start? Yeah, <laughs> maybe. But um, no, absolutely. Like the earlier you start, the better. And like I was saying that, you know, a bank will look back really at just like the previous six months um, when it comes to maybe loans. But when it comes to savings, if you can give them a document that actually shows that you've been saving for the past five years, it's definitely not going to hinder the application. Now, they'll be more interested in what you've done I suppose for the past year or six months but there's no harm in showing them you know all those years that you have been saving and it'll really improve the the application but just as was back to the process when you were saying what you do I mean when you when you sign up or when you ring the bank and say you want to submit a mortgage a lot of the banks now have mobile mortgage managers where someone will come out and actually meet you and it's really just a question of filling in the application form and supplying the documentation Um, a lot of people think it's document heavy it's not as document heavy as you think I mean you'll need a few recent payslips which I mean you should have lots of people will get these emails from their HR department now every every week or every month you need a copy of your P60 again HR can provide that you'll need six month statements from your current account again that's easy to get and any loans you'll need to you know credit card you just need a few uh, a few months statements as well um, and then obviously probably the most important thing just a proof of the deposits and a proof of the savings record so it's not you know like they're asking for all of these bizarre documents that you're just not going to have any hope of being able to find. Uh, a lot of it, you know, they're, they're quite common things. So, it's, you know, it's not as document heavy as people think. And then once you've submitted that, they'll come back and, like I said, they'll give you what's called an approval in principle. Uh, and then you move on. Then if you actually put a bid on a place. Unless you get uh, rejected, of course. Unless you get rejected, which hopefully, you know, won't happen. Yeah, but uh, like, like how long would it take them for, like how long would it, does it usually take them for them to get back to you and say no or yes? Well, so for me, it was it was a week, and now I was looking for an exemption, so it would have been a more, I suppose, a difficult case. Um, had I just been looking for three and a half times income, I think they would have got back in about maybe three working days. That was the SLA. Um, in this case, it was a week, so it wasn't a huge amount of time. I mean, they were relatively quick. Um, again, it will depend on a case-by-case basis. I'm not sure how, how quick did you find it, Kevin? Yeah, as you say, probably about three working days, because we were just sort of, there was no exemption, there was nothing you know, deviating from the norm there, and we were trying to fast-track as much as possible because we'd already seen the place and I'd already maybe told a little fib about how we had approval in principle and we didn't so uh, for that reason 
uh, it luckily came together quite quickly. Um, again, because I suppose the bank, as long as they see that nothing untoward is happening in your statements, you know, they're fairly eager for your business. And now the rest of it might take a little bit longer. As I said, once you're relying uh, on solicitors and lots of different parties to have to get in touch with each other and probably fax things over like it's 1998, then it's going to take a little bit longer. But uh, the approval process, by and large, is pretty quick. Yeah, so... Uh, one thing we saw a couple of weeks ago, uh, we saw a survey saying that, you know, a huge proportion of people will just go with the first bank that gives the mortgage approval. Mm-hmm. That That's not something you advise against, or that's not something you advise, is it? No, because there's a huge range, you know, in rates. And, you know, this is, a mortgage could last you 20, 30, 35 years. If there's ever a bill you do not want to overpay on, it's your mortgage. Now, sometimes people will go to their existing current account provider because they feel the process is a little bit easier and maybe they have a decent rate. And that's absolutely fine. But again, you know, you do not need to go to your existing current account. You can go to any of the other banks. And again, a site like Bonkers Salaie will quickly show you who's providing what rates. Uh, you can go to a broker as well, and they can obviously um, tell you, you know, who's prepared to to, to lend what amount. Um, so, you know, keep your options open. So you, you need to remember, though, that different banks do have different lending terms and conditions. So, you know, you could go to your existing bank and they could actually refuse you. Whereas had you gone to another bank, they could have given you the mortgage like that's another thing that people need to remember as well so um yeah i mean you don't need to to go to your current account although bank. if a bank does offer preferential rates to a current account customer there's no reason that you can't switch your current account over to that bank as well. no absolutely not of course so how many would you would you recommend trying everyone because no, like i i, I, I think so, something that's like going to put people off doing that is just like the idea of like having to fill out all that paperwork you know absolutely but what i would do is when you've decide who has the best rate for, for your particular circumstances um, and then there's obviously things like maybe cash back incentives that need to be put in as well um you know at least apply but i suppose the bank that's the most competitive um you know, so you really should it should be based on price more so than anything else. But this is where going with a broker can help. I mean, you can say to a broker, listen, these are my circumstances. And if they're a good broker, they'll be able to say, right, you know, uh, this is who I'd recommend that you go with. Mm. Um, so particularly as well, as you get older, and our, a big issue is that, you know, millennials, the average age of a first time buyer now is 34. Not so long ago, it was 29. Back when our parents were buying, it was probably like 24 or 25. So we're getting older and older. But as we're getting older, it means that people's term is actually encroaching upon retirement age. Uh, and then, again, different banks have different lending rules and criteria. So some banks will give you a mortgage until the age of 70. Um, so past retirement, other banks, that might only be 65. Uh, now, if you're 40 and you, and you only want a 20-year term, that's fine. But if you're 40 and you're like, God, I couldn't afford a 20-year term, I need a 30-year mortgage, that's when being able to chat to a broker who'll be able to tell you who's lending, what amount, what rates you know could really really help yeah and will that broker just like make all those applications on your behalf and just take a piece or what's the story yeah well they'll know i mean who you have the best shot with i mean they're, they're unlikely to submit a full application but they'll know from having done business with previous clients and previous customers who's lending for what and they'll chat you through the various options and um, so that you can pick the bank that's right for you and then submit a full application with that bank yeah, one thing I find really interesting is the Central Bank of Ireland is thinking about bringing in, or sorry, outlawing mortgage cashback offers. Mm. But yet they're a thing that really um, attracts people to kind of mortgage mortgages and certain mortgage products. 
Can you kind of talk me through, Ben, the, the complexity of that issue, I suppose? So uh, my feeling on this is that people cashback offers by themselves aren't necessarily a bad thing and it's all i think the reason why the central bank has an issue with cashback offers although they have kind of rode back on it recently to say that they're not maybe as against us as 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 they were but um in ireland we have one of the highest mortgage rates in the eurozone and one of the feelings one of the many many reasons that people say is because of these cashback offers so the government feels under pressure to almost get rid of the cashback offers so that the mortgage rate can go down and then suddenly you know it's no longer the rip-off republic and the banks are no longer ripping people off. But that's probably a slightly simplistic way of looking at is it. Is that a more optics? Thing? Yeah, I, exactly. I think it's kind of optics. But like cashback offers by themselves aren't necessarily a bad thing as long as people go into it with their eyes wide open. Like you should never choose a bank based purely on the cashback offer because you could pay up. You know, could you end up paying way more over the term of your mortgage? And um, you know, usually the banks that offer the cashback offers tend to have slightly higher interest rates whereas the banks that don't offer cashback offers or you know small amounts like Ulster Bank and KPC have some of the most competitive rates but it's all very well you know me saying to you oh go with KPC because they're cheapest but like if you don't even have a penny after you draw down the mortgage to buy a bed because you're that broke you know that that may not work and for a lot of people they they need this cashback to help furnish the house when they move in also we know from you know anecdotally that a lot of people they're borrowing from the bank of mum and dad they're borrowing from relatives and then they're using the cash back uh, to pay you know the relatives after they've drawn down the mortgage so you know again that you know outlawing a cashback offer in my opinion could actually make the home buying process even more difficult for people so i wouldn't like to see them removed totally i just think people just need to go in with their eyes wide open and you know take all the things like the race and the, the total amount into consideration so you've approval in principle for your mortgage. Are you going to be taking a, cash, a cashback? So I went with permanent TSB, and a permanent TSB were actually my existing uh, accounts. But I was one of those people who knew that I would need the cashback, um, you know, to help furnish the apartment and things like that. So I will, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll get the cashback. Now, again, that's not to say that I can't switch in five years' time, you know. Um, so I'll get the cashback. And then switch to one of the cheaper rates in a few years' time, you know? Yeah, well, you know, you got to get that widescreen TV. Kev, yeah. did you go for cashback yourself? Uh, in terms of the process and, you know, asking what you do in, in what order, I think one of the things that we're touching on here is you kind of need to have a, a basic sense of financial literacy when it comes to cashback versus, you know, rates like fixed and variable and the term that you're borrowing over. And yes, it might be a smaller monthly repayment, but you're paying interest for longer and what that actually looks like. And that goes for any loan you get in your life. You might think, oh, that's a smaller monthly repayment, but obviously it's over a longer period of time. And when you add it all up, you're actually going to be paying a much larger total. And these are things that I hadn't really thought of before. And I know when my brother got his house uh, with his wife when they were having kids and they were so kind of rushed off their feet with everything else that uh, they weren't really too concerned with brushing up on just a few basic terms and didn't know the difference between a variable and a fixed rate. And then they ended up switching uh, within a year or two of getting their mortgage because once they caught up on their sleep a little bit, they realized that they weren't getting a great deal. And, you know, it's a good time, you know, now as any to to look up those things and there's plenty of resources online to, to figure out what it actually means to go with one rate versus another. And I think when you whittle it down to what you're willing to pay, what looks like a decent term, what has some kind of incentive, whether it's cashback or sometimes it can be home insurance or there's a few different types of incentives that banks give now, uh, you're probably going to be whittling it down to, to one to three, I would say, banks that really come out on top for your needs. So it's not like 
you have to look at every single bank out there, you'll immediately knock some out of the running just by putting in your details and looking what actually suits you best and what actually work for your budget and your constraints. Yeah, because one of the things you did, I think, after you bought your apartment is you had to, you did a bit of a renovation on that. Yeah, so... Which is like, which seems crazy, you know, being in your 20s, buying a house and then going, you know what, I'm going to remodel the kitchen as well when I'm at it. Well, just to continue the, I don't know where I'd be without my parents theme that I'm representing in this podcast. Uh, my dad is a plaster, my brother is a plumber. So it was handy, obviously, to have them uh, on board to be able to do up the kitchen and the bathroom, especially because these are like 1980s apartments and neither were in Great Nick. Um, and the, the previous owner seemed to be a chain-smoking bachelor. <laughs> so <laughs> it needed uh, a little... You didn't have a, like a herd of Russian dancers living upstairs <laughs> with you as well, just to add to this. No, that's all we're short of uh, finding out. But it was um, it was good to have somebody there to, to help us give the place a bit of a facelift and to, to do it up. But uh, at the same time, as I said, we were you know mortgage-proved for a certain amount. We didn't touch the upper reaches of that amount. Uh, we budgeted... Uh, a decent chunk of change and we were able to bit by bit get the renovations done and again if there's one thing to be said for the fact that the process can take a couple of months once you've been approved and put in your offer and even when it's been accepted uh, it can be months before you get the keys and in that time hopefully you're still accumulating uh, income and you actually are able to to save up i know that i have a friend who is in a similar position where if she, although the process took a lot longer than she expected and you know by the time the previous owners had moved out of the place she had bought you know it, it kind of got to a ridiculous stage of people dragging their feet and she got a bit exasperated with it but by the time she moved in she was almost glad of those extra three or four months because in that time she'd accumulated more income and was actually as Tara said was able to furnish it because if she'd gotten in as soon as she'd wanted to she probably would have been sat in a cardboard box <laughs> looking at her phone for a few months before she was able to plug a TV in or sit somewhere comfortably so Sometimes it can be a blessing in disguise when you've actually got a little bit more time to accumulate that money and bit by bit. And it just becomes a thing, like your paycheck turns into paint and plaster and a sofa. And it's it's exciting and it's also a little bit soul-crushing because you're not going out doing fun. Terrifying in an yeah. existential point of view. Yeah, you're not necessarily doing exciting things, but... You know, ideally, these will all be good quality long term purchases. And when you're sat in your own couch in your own living room in your own house, uh, that will hopefully be its own satisfaction. More yeah, than... but like it, it must be pretty miserable too, like just to be sitting on your on said couch eating beans from a saucepan thinking this is a great investment, you know? I said, yeah, I mean, I think we need to remember though that it is a big decision, it is a big investment. Our parents went through this as well. Unless you're lucky enough to get those six lucky numbers, nobody. It, it, it you know moves into their house and, ha- and has an easy time for the first year or two sorry you meant lottery for for a second i thought six lucky number i was like phone number <laughs> whose phone number somebody rich maybe um so okay in, in summation like let's say i want to buy a house can you give us kind of a brief overview of what what, what the main step should be so the main thing to me is to just start early audit your finances look at your current account look at your debt look at what you can clear what you can pay off, look at what you can save, open a savings account and just know that regardless of, as I said, 
whatever the interest rate or the, the fine details are, just have somewhere that you're putting your money that you can't spend it and that you can't print off a statement mm. at the end of whatever the period is and hand to a bank and say, look how good a saving I am. That's the first thing. And then I'd say the second thing is go online and do your research, like I said, on those terms, what a fixed rate is versus a variable, what the different banks are offering. If your current account bank is offering good rates or if you should probably switch so you can avail of you know the best rate in the market and what term you're comfortable paying off and all those things that you can do online now with so many resources and calculators mm. and things that actually help you get your head around the figures. Another thing just to remember as well is that we probably we didn't touch on it just yet is you know the effects that a loan can actually have and how much a bank will give you. So we were talking about the central bank limits and they were saying three and a half times income. But banks have another calculation that they use which is called the net income ratio. So basically your mortgage repayment should never be more than 30 to 35%. <clears throat> of your uh, of your net income. So let's say for example to keep it easy, um you took home one thousand euro a month. So that's one thousand euro after um tax and USC. Uh, a bank will only give you usually a mortgage to 350 euros so your mortgage should not be more than 350 euro a month but let's say you decided to take out a car loan for 100 euro suddenly your net disposable income is no longer 1000 euro a month it's 900 euro a month so suddenly it's 35 percent of 900 and not 35 percent of a thousand meaning the bank will lend you less so if you have a you know a holiday loan if you have a car loan if you have a personal loan try get them out try get them paid off before you apply for the mortgage uh, and absolutely if you know the car you feel is on its last legs but you're going to apply for a mortgage you know just bring it to the garage see if you can get it to last a longer you know a, a, an extra few months like one of the worst things that you could do um is probably to take out you know new debt before um before you take out a mortgage okay so do everything you can to save money split the toilet paper in half and the likes um Switching as well is another thing, because it seems absolutely bizarre that you can take out a, a loan from a company for like, uh, you know, 30, 35 years and then switch after a couple. Yeah, I mean, you can. I mean, like anything, you can switch broadband, you can switch cur- current accounts, you can switch energy. There's lots of bills that you can switch and your mortgage is no different. Um, you know, it's 30 years. Some people change their husbands or wives over 30 years. Why wouldn't you change your mortgage? Maybe a couple of times, exactly. Um, and, I, you know, we always say at Bonkers IE that switching saves. Your mortgage is no different, you know, like any other bill. Realistically, you're unlikely to switch us, you know, numerous times throughout the term. But if people even switch their mortgage at least once during the term, I think they'd be doing well. Okay. So you said one of the main things that you should start doing is start doing your research. Can you give us some good uh, resources for the people that are listening? Well, I think our own website, Bonkers.ie, has lots of really uh, good information. Also, the banks themselves have a lot of good information now, particularly, um, you know, AIB. They actually have an app that you can download um, and it is is really, really informative. Um, It goes through all the stages of the application process. And, you know, banks now, you know, they have huge marketing budgets. Um, They're spending, you know, hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of euro a year on all of these, you know, blogs and campaigns and all of this creative work so you know find the information that's out there there really is loads but like i said your bank um and, and bonkers.ie as well there's, there's lots of information out there also sites as well some of the government and consumer body sites um, and kind of citizens information ireland as well can have some some good information yeah, and I mean, there's even things like workshops that we've done ourselves, but I've seen other banks do. And it's, a, you know, it's obviously a, a big market of first time buyers out there who want this information. And I think what you have to 
face up to is you need to sort of go and speak to scary growing ups in suits and ties and ask them questions about your mortgage before you even feel like you're ready to to commit to that but if it's something that you have in mind and that you want to start saving for then you need to engage the necessary parties and speak to them and see you know what they have to say because as Dara said earlier, you might be told something that you hadn't even thought of that you now need to spend the next six months getting sorted before this is even going to be a consideration for you. So don't think that when you walk into a bank, they're going to handcuff you to the desk and not let you leave until you've signed up for a mortgage with them or the same with a workshop or something like that. Engage the necessary and relevant parties and just give yourself more information and it'll make it a lot easier to be able to, to wrap your head around you know, what could potentially be a 30-year commitment. So... Before I let you go, I was actually talking recently to Marie Sherlock, who's an economic advisor and head of equality and policy for SIP2. And when I asked her if there was anything else she wanted to talk about um, in terms of jobs, she actually had this to say. Um, housing is the really big thing at the moment. Just want to say something really brief on housing, sure. because I suppose as we're talking about millennials and young people, right? And, and I think, like... Um, you know, there's so many different messages coming out about housing at the moment. But I think one of the things we need to be really clear on is that when you look at the generation of people 30 years ago, so you look at home ownership rates, right, um, 30 years ago, I think 50% of those aged 30 to 35 owned a house uh, 30 years ago. And that figure has almost halved now, right? Um, and certainly for the younger age cohort. But when you look at the gross earnings that people required 30 years ago, um, 1998, 1988, sorry, to buy a house, about 4.7 times their gross earnings. Now, now they faced high interest charges at the time, okay? Um, so there was difficulty accessing mortgage, a mortgage. But if you look at the house price to income ratio, um, we now know it's in excess of 10 times um, the income of a typical 25 to 29 year old, so right? Absolutely. Despite the fact that our wages are low. And this is it, right? So, like, so, so, when, so that's the first point, right? And then when you move beyond that, how do people buy houses now, right? Again, some really interesting research undertaken by the Central Bank here in Ireland and, 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 and abroad, looking at the role of inheritances, right? So we know that here in Ireland, about 25% of houses um, purchased by younger people is with the aid of some sort of a gift, right? Now, we don't know the scale of that gift, right? Um, for, the, for the house purchase, we, we, we have an idea as to the gift, but the gift may, not relate, may solely relate to the house purchase or may go to other things as well. But we know about 25% goes to, um, uh, to, 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 to the house purchase. So for the remaining 75%, there's a very big issue there because they don't have access to you know, the bank of mum and dad. Now, interestingly, in the UK, um, Social Market Con uh, Foundation there talk about you know, the research they have undertaken actually shows that families of all um, income profiles actually give money to their, their kind of their adult children. But what we see is that lower income families tend to give money to their children for consumption purposes and higher income families tend to give money to their children for asset purchases. So, you know, it's the difference between, let's say, giving money to your child to buy the mobile phone, your adult child or whatever it might be or the holiday or I, I don't know, whatever it might be versus the, you know, 
couple of grand or more uh, to go buy the house. And of course, that has huge implications for intergenerational um, inequality. Because obviously, if, if a family can afford to give their adult children money to buy a house, you know, think of what that opens up between those whose families can't afford to give their it's children. It's kind of a bit like Game of Thrones in the way that it's kind of like consolidating, you know, your and, wealth. And, and, and this is the key thing, right? So that the wealth perpetuates, you know, amongst a certain class of people or amongst a certain group of people. So I think we're going to see that widen now because of house, of where house prices and because of the very slow pace of housing demand, of housing supply. And ultimately, the only way of overcoming that, mm. as I see it at the moment, is... Um, and if we're to provide any sort of hope, particularly to young workers, but also one of the big things we're seeing within our own membership is people who get into their 50s or 60s, maybe had a house, maybe there was marital breakdown, or maybe they were never able to afford to buy a house. Because if you think of the generation that are in the 20s or 30s now, they'll never be able to, some will never be able to afford to buy a house. 30 years time, they're looking at retirement and going, uh-uh, how am I going to survive here? Because our state pension is built on the premise that you paid for your housing. You're just paying for your groceries and your car and whatever else. Whereas actually, if you come to 50 or 60 now, or you come to 60 years of age now, and you, you don't have, you're, you're still paying rent at a market rate, there's no way, if you've no occupational pension, that you're going to be able to pay that market rate and rent on the state pension as is currently um, as is currently funded. So the, the key point is that we need to think uh, about a very radical solution with regards to housing in this country. Um, and, and the first thing I always say is that like, you know, our local authorities were able to build when our country did not have money back in the 50s or 60s, right? We do now have money as, as a country. If you look at our public finances, we're going to be in surplus this year and next year and the year afterwards. An incredible financial situation to be in. It, w- economy five years in a row. it won't last forever, right? It won't last forever, but we can um, take the opportunity to use some of the money that is available to us now to actually build houses, okay? And offer it to a whole variety of people. So it's not just social housing because, you know, all too often we have thought of housing in silos, social housing versus, you know, the private rental versus purchase. Whereas actually what we need to do is think about it in terms of uh, local authorities um, in a, a, working with uh, affordable housing bodies actually providing housing to all cohorts of people but uh, and then obviously determining the, the rent according to what people people earn or can afford to pay um, it then it creates an income flow for local authorities very badly needed um, but it's a it's a secure form of housing over the long term um, as opposed to the very short term market rental solutions that so many people find themselves in now and are simply not sustainable over the long term. So I think that is a really critical issue for for, 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 for those who are um, in their 20s and 30s now that this problem is going to get worse. There's no doubt about that. But there is, you know, there's a number of solutions out there. The private sector has to play its part, but it can only do so much. Um, but the public sector, and in particular local authorities, can do so much more to start building. We have, I think, 14... Uh, the, 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 um, the figure now has gone from the top of my head. But we have a, a number of thousand hectares around the greater Dublin area alone that is in the, the possession of state agencies in this country. So it's not... And, and if we look at the cost of housing, uh, the, the, the price of land comes for about 35% of the overall cost of, of building a house. Mm. So if you take that cost of... of, of of, of the site away from it, you automatically and immediately reduce the cost of housing. So we need to start thinking about how we use our state-owned lands for housing into the future if our young people are to have any hope. 
Is there an appetite for this in the doll though? Because 30% are in animals. Yeah. Um, well, this is the this is the key question. But look, we're like you know we have elections coming up the end of May, um, and we have we're going to have a general election sometime over the next twelve months. So it's about people voting with their feet. Um, I think there is certainly a growing awareness, um, or not even awareness. Sorry, there's growing support amongst parties of the left that we need radical measures now to actually really re- finally resolve our housing crisis. Um, and it is about parties of the left working together, which traditionally have not they have not done in the past more interest in cannibalizing themselves um, or each other um, so it's about them working together but I think there is a new there's a new appetite of politician there now who's willing to cross the floor talk to uh, other political parties and work together and certainly I'm hopeful in that regard that we can see progress but it's about people voting with their feet you know if they're concerned about this issue they need to vote in it so that's it for the first ever uh, episode of the bonkers.ie guide to adulting so you want to buy a home um if you know anybody that you think might like this podcast please uh share it uh, around uh, you can feel free to share it on social media channels um we're going to be tackling in the upcoming season we're going to be tackling uh work um, certain businesses personal finance so it's going to be a pretty holistic approach. So make sure to subscribe down below and again, share it with whoever you can. Um, thank you so much to Derek Cassidy, Kevin Bolton and um, Marie Sherlock of SIP2, especially who were my guests on this show. And I look forward to the rest of the season with you guys. I've been Connor Dever. Thank you so much from bunkers.ie.